Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the School for Dumb Women, the podcast where we poke around in cobwebby houses to investigate the things you're too proud to admit you know nothing about. I'm your hostwoman, elderly caretaker of a cursed mansion, Hannah Varrell. Joining me is disgraced dinner party guest, Alexandra Haddo. You mean there's been a murder? Pack my mink and my diaphragm, I'm leaving. And distant cousin who stands to inherit everything, Caroline O'Donoghue. Me? But I hardly spoke to the old man, except to give him his opium. How will we figure this mess out? In the meantime, we're learning about CFACs, the pathetic failures of space travel, and, oh, I didn't understand this joke at all, how to make your feminist heroes go five rounds in an octagon. (laughs) (laughs) An octagon is what, like, um... Like a boxing ring. Yeah, ultimate fighting, UFC, ultimate fighting champions, they go in an octagon. (laughs) Alex, you seemed futuristic 20 years ago, but now you just make my eyes hurt. What's going on? Um, I've aged and I'm no longer relevant, Caroline. Oh God, you're not sexy either. What's going on? I'm really not. I'm actually extinct because I am CFAX. Oh yes, I remember you. Do you guys remember this? I'm interested to know when this goes out um, on Soho Radio or if you're listening to it on the podcast app, um, please do like tweet us or whatever and let us know if you know what I'm talking about when I say CFAX because I'm trying to work out the age cutoff. Are you like, maybe it was all a dream? Yeah. CFAX never existed. Well, I'm, I was born in 1991 and uh, I remember CFAX like quite clearly, but I don't, I don't remember what it did. Yeah. Okay. So the reason I was going to do it, and I can't believe we've never thought to do this on the podcast before, is because we were talking about how travel agents are kind of, they're not useless obviously now, but I mean, who goes to a travel agent to book their holiday now, right? Mm, you'd have to be extremely elderly yeah yeah you have to be very very old or very very rich you know where they're just like they you know they somebody books you like a 300 grand eight stop Maldives tour or something yes mm-hmm. and yeah and my me and my friend uh in the pub was saying and he was just like yeah just be my old man on CFAX trying to book a package deal and I was like oh my god yeah you used to book holidays on it so for anybody that doesn't know CFAX was kind of a sort of very very old sort of internet prototype that you'd be able to look at through your television and it was kind of like the the text was it was on a black background and it had colored text and it looked extremely 80s Mm -hmm. and it you could you could go on to it at any time but when before programs started at like seven o'clock in the morning 
it was just CFAX on BBC, on like BBC One and BBC Two, um, like all through the night. So if you came in, you know, pissed or whatever, um, or if you like woke up really early, like when I was a kid, I used to just sort of read CFAX before, wow. you know, the Teletubbies came on at seven, which I was way too old to watch, but just used to put <laughs> up with it because we had four channels. So if you don't know what it is, look it up now so that the rest of it makes sense so you can see a picture People of will definitely know what it is, even if they don't know the word for it kind of thing. Because um, I we didn't even, in Ireland, or, or even in my family, I don't know whether it was a family thing or whatever, we called it teletext. We never called it CFAX. I only learned that word quite recently. Teletext, it, it was called that here as well. Oh, okay. I think CFAX is the official name, but if somebody said teletext to you here, you would know what you were talking about. I just remember accidentally pressing some buttons on the controller and getting like CFAX weather report or something and just being like, how do I leave? How do I get out of here? Where's Blue Peter? It was so horrible on the eye. And like for me, I, it was always on in my house. It was constantly on because my, um, my brothers were so into sport and so was my dad and you would always get sport results on it for channels we didn't ah, yet have. of course. So yeah. uh, I remember just like going into a room and bursting into tears because like my brother was on Teletext again and I was like, I'm so sick of this, the frustration <laughs> of not being able to watch good stuff because he had to like watch horrible text to go across the screen. Yeah, of like the football results coming in as, oh God. Yeah, yeah. awful. That's a very visceral memory you've just brought up for me there. <laughs> Yeah, so why do you think it's called CFAX? Oh, um, something to do with fax machines? It's because you see facts. No Whoa. way. Yeah, it was just a pun on seeing facts. Oh, wow. And it was actually, so it was first um, introduced in 1972. Well, 1974 officially, but they kind of had it like a beta state. Oh, that's far earlier than I would have thought. And it was kind of invented by accident when they were trying to invent subtitles for deaf people to go along the bottom of the screen. Wow. Um, and then they realised that they could actually have sort of a, a platform just for that. And then yeah. it grew from there. And it had. And then they were like, we don't need moving images and sound. Yes, exactly. We just need to see facts. Actually, Hannah, one of my interesting facts about facts, which <laughs> now I can't unhear the pun, yeah. um, was that one of the first kind of live coverage things ever was um somebody plotted the cambridge boat race but it was just like two dots going live sort of across the screen wow like, like pong basically yes exactly like that That's yeah clever i know so that was one of the first kind of moving images things on cfax but if anyone does remember it, it used to be able to like you say there was weather reports on there with kind of very shoddy like html image of like a palm tree and some sun um, you could, yeah, you could book holidays on there. You could look at the weather. There was loads of sports results. There was news. Um, it was actually, it was, people used to post breaking news on there. So it was kind of like the the Twitter of its day, I guess. So who, so who ran CFAX? So CFAX was um, the BBC. Yeah, there was, was the BBC. So maybe like Teletext was just the kind of, whatever channel it was, it was called Teletext, but BBC's one was called CFAX, if you know I what I mean. But they didn't call it BBC Facts. They didn't. I've, I'm looking at a picture of it now and it says BBC CFAX and it does feel like they've missed out an even better pun then. Um, you could also look at the t- top 40 on there, TV listings. Um, there was the lottery results. Oh, wow. Remember when like a lottery was like a big part of the public imagination? I know. Mm. I feel like it just isn't anymore. I mean, I still do love a scratch card, but not the ne- never the national lottery. Yeah. 
Oh, I do the lottery occasionally. Do you know what, Caroline, I feel like I've done it with you a couple of times when we were working together. In fact, maybe all three of us when we worked at an office together and every every so often at lunchtime, you'd be like, this is so fucking depressing. Yes, we, we just did buy do a lottery that. ticket to have some hope for half an hour? Oh, yeah, maybe we did do that. I've definitely gone to the bookies with one of you just for like a bit of a flutter in the middle of a depressing day. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Um, so it was just, yeah, it kind of was like the early, yeah, the early internet, basically. You could listen to the radio on there as well. There was a chess section. I remember this. Every time you say something, something new, I can like, it's like flashing up so clearly for me. It was such a big part of like the wallpaper of our lives, wasn't it? Wait, but so could you play chess? I'm not sure if you could play chess or not, or if it was like chess results. The thing is, it, it wasn't... Chess results. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even that it was um, like... I mean, the internet on TV was probably the easiest way of summarizing it, but actually mm. it was a bit more like the newspaper on TV because it was like those chess puzzles that you get at the back of a paper, you know, where it's like, oh, it'll set, set out for you like um, a problem to get to get your man out of check or something, you know? Yeah. So oh, yes. it was kind of like a game you had to play in your head. Like it was such a an odd concept, an odd like stopgap between um, the paper and the internet. Yeah, it was. It's just, and it's just weird that it's. And when do you, when do you think it was abolished? <laughs> abolished sounds really abolished. Weird. Oh, do you know what? Outlawed. <laughs> when did it, illegal. Outlawed, yeah. When did it become illegal? <laughs> I bet it. I bet it was like really recently, actually. I bet it was like twenty ten, or something stupid like that. I feel like it outstayed its welcome. Caroline, any guesses? I mean, I think this is a trick question. I think it's probably still going. It's not, sadly, but I can understand no. why you'd think that because I would think that maybe there, you know, there was, a, you know, like a modern version or something. Um, but no, it was 2012. You weren't far off, Hannah. Oh, wow. Ooh, very good. Just in time for the Olympics and all those sports results. Exactly, yeah. Fuck Mo Farah. He's not going on CFAT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it was only abolished then. And um, I won't say too much about it because there was so much interesting stuff. So it was kind of discovered by accident. There was loads of stuff about technically how it works. I was like, we don't care about this. Mm-mm. No. We're not an engineering Unless there were like monkeys in a computer room, then uh, I'm afraid the technicalities can stay on Wikipedia. Good day, sir. <laughs> um, so, and then I, I, I was like, you know, trying to find interesting facts about CFAX. And I found this article that was on the BBC News website from 2009 and honestly it just looks like a word document that has been like Mm -hmm. photocopied and put onto a website so i'm going to just read you a couple of them there was loads of weird football stuff on here like once a football club advertised for a striker on the day of a match and got one through cfax no way um (laughs) yeah completely um in 1997 qpr assistant manager Bruce Rioch first heard about his dismissal from the team by reading about it on CFAX. Oh my God, <laughs> fired via CFAX. The absolute shame of it. And weirdly as well, like there was so many weird football stuff like on there, but do you remember the old uh, England manager, Glenn Hoddle? Not at all, no. Okay, so um, he was he was sacked for some comments that he made about disabled people and his 13-year-old daughter contacted CFAX to try and lend him some public support and was basically like, he didn't mean it like this and here's the context. Like trying to, It was kind of like him trying to get his personal... I mean, it was his daughter, but, you know. She was trying to use it as a PR stunt. Like, an, like again, like a sort of early Twitter, I guess. Final couple of things. Um, celebrity, celebrity callers to CFAX. Uh, John Cleese 
once complained that the latest Somerset cricket scores were not up to date. <laughs> uh, Princess Diana's mother apparently phoned in once. It doesn't say here why, but, you know, I want to leave it at that. Wait, so hang on. When you say people like phoned in or whatever or complained, would like their um, their complaints show up in text on CFAX? Yeah, or is it just that they're calling the BBC and being like, look, I'm on your CFAX page now. Yeah, I think they were calling the BBC, yeah. Uh-huh. What that really shows is that CFAX was a big deal. It was. So uh, on the celebrity front, again, it says here, one of the Manic Street preachers, um, CFAX was on his rider and he once stormed out of a hotel because there was no CFAX <laughs> on in their hotel room. And also Avril, wow. Le- Avril Levine on her British tour insisted on CFAX and Bovril. Wow. But so, did, did was there like an equivalent to CFAX in America then, if Avril Levine? I mean, what's she, Canadian maybe? She's Canadian, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think she just liked, she just liked CFAX over here because it just says, for her British tour. Oh, so I wonder if she was just like, I'm going to England for the CFAX and while I'm there, I'll play some music, I guess. I believe so. Do you think that, is CFAX, do you think, a little bit like a Marmite memory for people in that you either, like, fucking hated it or absolutely loved it? And there's, like, because Avril Lavigne loved it. She's vaguely our generation. Like, but I just, like, would have an absolute full body, like, rug disgust whenever I saw it. Just get it away. I hate the way it affects my eyes. Like, I just hate everything about it. But isn't that an association thing for you, Caroline? Because you associate it with not getting to watch the TV that you want. Yeah. But it's also visually horrible and it looks like something that's so from a different time. Even when we were growing up, it looked like it was from the 80s. Like, we were were of that generation who had, like, you know, personal computers sitting in the lounge or whatever and yeah, like we had those true, apple yeah. macs that were all different colors yeah yeah and like even we had like a more advanced looking sort of sleeker system than cfax which just looked like a disgusting like 80s thing oh yeah no I, I i totally know what you mean because i i didn't mind it in the mornings but on like a sunday evening i associate it with like the football scores so i associate it with like oh yeah here we go just... you know um just like zoning out like I feel like when I when I when I see it in my head, I smell Lynx Africa because I associate it so much with my brother's puberty. <laughs> um, well, I'll leave you with news that in 1994, a news flash was accidentally broadcast on CFAX, like as a rehearsal, um, that said the Queen Mother had died. Oh no! What? And it was only up there for 30 seconds, but people still saw it, and then they had to personally personally apologise to the Queen I Mother. Bet. It's so cute even seeing this like retro article as well because it was written when CFAX was still going in 2009. It says, add your comments on this story using the form below. And the, f- the top one just says, my dad loves the music on CFAX. He even used to record it on a little tape recorder so he could oh. listen to it in his car. <laughs> oh, that is cute. Yeah, mad. I don't know. It's, I find that it's really interesting, those technological advances that are exist for a very like short period of time in between major advances you know what i mean it's yeah like yeah a little little sliver of meat in the sandwich you know i know i feel like it's very much the sort of nintendo 64 of, of the internet yeah totally or like it, more like mini disc players like this thing yeah that is never gonna come back really no but it's just gonna yeah. languish in sort of a dead technology zone you know but for a while it looked like the next big thing yeah totally well, it kind of was just like lovely and in the background for a while. Like it wasn't unsuccessful because it was just kind of there to like tell people stuff. 
Yeah, I bet there are definitely people who are like campaigning to bring it back. There's definitely like old men who miss sea fags. Yeah, you're so right. And in a way, I sympathise, you know. the inter- Here's the thing. The internet, we ruined it, you know. <laughs> we wrecked it. There's I, My friend Sarah Griffin, she often says, she's like, oh, I, I can't wait for the future when like they take away the internet from us. And I kind of believe her. I feel like it's going to be one of those things like how we feel, you know, how like... um. There used to be cocaine in Coca-Cola and like, oh, like, oh my God, or like how it used to be really easy to get opium. It's yeah. like going to be one of those things where we're like, oh my God, a hundred years ago, people didn't realize how bad this was for them and they completely abused it. And now only like doctors and high ranking officials get to administer it. <laughs> like That's how it should be with the internet. And we should all go back to a more CFAX friendly world. I've got a full 180 on CFAX. I now think it is the only future where we can still live and breathe and not kill ourselves. Well, it's quite, yeah, it's quite a nice sort of calm thing that just wasn't very, um, it was just it's a bit tw- unassuming. Twitter doesn't judge you, you know? Yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah. You never know, maybe there was a dark side to CFAX that we're not hearing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't possibly imagine one. Secret just... anti-Semitism. God, yeah. CFAX. At it again. <laughs> At it again. Wow. Well, I, I very much enjoyed thinking about CFAX for a while. Bring it back. Mm. Bring her back. Bring her back, yeah. Exactly. You know, Caroline, I feel like something's changed about you. I feel like you're not the man I thought I knew back home. Oh, no, no, no. Are you, <laughs> by any chance, a rocket, rocket man? man. <laughs> um, strangely, my segment today isn't about Elton John or even Taron Egerton. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, I'm not, I, I kind of struggle to say what this is about. Well, we, we planned this episode. Um, all, like, all we got from you was space. <laughs> Yeah, I just literally wrote space in the Google Doc. And, and like, I'm like, I have no more questions. <laughs> um, this is oddly, like, I I often, like, bait Gavin. You know when you've been in a relationship for a long time and all you do is find subtle ways to fucking annoy each other? Yeah. And my favourite thing to tell him is, like, I don't care about space. I don't like it. I don't want to see films about it. I don't want to watch Star Wars. I don't want to hear about astronauts. I don't even, like, think that their job is that hard. <laughs> yeah cool um, astronaut mate yeah I can do that sure you can see that and um, despite my protests though that I have absolutely no interest in space it's actually a subject I've returned to on this podcast several times I mm. did the space race at one point I did Leica the space dog I did, did the moon I did the moon which was one of, not one of my better segments I'm able to say now with time but yeah, so here I am returning to the subject of space again today. It draws you in like a black hole. It really does. It, I think what it is, I hate like, I hate, as Hannah, you said earlier on this podcast, kind of facts about sort of engineering and all this kind of stuff. When you said mm. like, I don't want to, unless it's about like some monkeys in a room doing it, I don't yeah. care. Unless it's like a <laughs> cute story. I don't want to hear about like satellites and orbiting and, and boys <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not a lot of room for women in space, even though it's so huge. But I I saw an amazing fact over the weekend and it was so it enthralled me so much, it completely sucked up my entire Sunday. Which is I saw um a news article from 2014 that said by nineteen seventy, 
which is the year after the moon landings, the vast majority of Americans couldn't remember Neil Armstrong's name. What? Yeah. A year? A year. The vast that majority. That can't be true. Yeah. So there were lots of people who did like lots of different polls because like even when it got to the year anniversary, loads of different newspapers were like, hey, everybody, remember last year? When remember when o- we went to fucking space remember and we landed on the moon? <laughs> We put a person on the moon and his footstep is still there and we forgot what his name was like he was the fucking inventor of reggae reggae sauce. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Hey, Levi Roots is a hero. <laughs> and arguably given more to culture. But um, yeah, so uh, around the first anniversary, people had that kind of moment being like, hey, remember when we all really cared about this and then we all kind of stopped caring kind of thing? And there was even, like, a few newspapers did, like, telephone polls. The New York Times did one where they kind of called random people from... It was Okay, bearing in mind, this is not the best way to gather data. This was not a national survey. This was the New York Times just doing a thing. So they just, like, would call, like, you know, 30 people from any given state just randomly put plucked out of the phone book, which is, like, not a bad way to make a, you know... Yeah, I guess so. Do an informal study. And, um... Like, okay, say, so in St. Louis, one in 15 people remembered his name. Wow. In Maine, one in 12. And in New York, eight out of 22. 70% wow. of Philadelphians didn't know. Like, just this all over the country, the only thing that seemed to unite the United States was how little they now cared about Neil Armstrong. <laughs> I mean, it could have been that they were calling up I don't know, at like, yeah, 6am on a weekend and the kids are already up watching CFAX and then (laughs) some person calls them and they're like, well, my parents are in bed, but no, I don't know what that is. (laughs) Is it one of those things that's become, you know, we've nostalgised, if that's a word. Mm. Like he gathered momentum as he went along kind of thing. So this is, this is the sort of thing. It's like, there was this huge, huge moment where like the entire, because when it was happening, like, uh, like you know, at the time there were 200 million Americans alive. 123 million of them watched it on TV. Wow! Like it, in Paris, um, they had to like rely on extra generators because literally Paris couldn't take the amount of TVs that were on. Wow. Like Ger- Germany reported like a downturn on like a massive downturn in crime that day. Like all over the world, people watched it. And even after the astronauts got back from space, they did like a global tour, and like people in Belgium were saying that like or Brussels um, were saying that they hadn't seen that many people on the streets since like World War Two ended oh like wow yeah. it was they were mobbed they were like celebrities it was huge and um, then just very quickly people just sort of stopped caring and this is like a subject for a book I ended up reading about you know 15 pages of at the weekend yeah <laughs> um, because my this is an aside but like I find it very hard to read non-fiction books about big subjects I just tend to like download the sample on Kindle read the introduction and be like I think I got it you know <laughs> <laughs> But this, this this sample that I read all 15 pages of. <laughs> DIY heart surgery. Caroline's like, oh, I've got the first piece. 15 pages, I got it. Okay, but like in my defense, you have to admit that for the... Va- and both, both of us have worked in... Well, all three of us have worked in jobs where like lots of books are coming through an office. Mm-hmm. For the vast majority of nonfiction books, the Kindle sample will suffice. Yeah, that is yeah. very true. It's it's very much like by page thirty, you've um, I've heard the same point three times. Totally. I mean, like, did anyone need the whole Marie Kondo book? <laughs> no, 
You don't even need the book. You just look at the fucking cover. Chuck stuff away. Be tidy. Do you like your stuff? If not, chuck it off. You know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Silly. But this book was by a guy called Matthew Tribb. It's called No Requiem. No Requiem. Oh my God, I can't say that word. Requiem? No Requiem. For the space age is really really good i highly recommend recommend the free sample Great. um but he talks about like basically the entire book is about this um we could assume this um uh, <laughs> drop off immediate drop off in space interest that happened sort of globally so even like in the year after like for the anniversary both um neil armstrong and buzz aldrin were interviewed and both of them were like yeah honestly were extremely disappointed by like how quickly people just stopped caring oh, sad isn't it oh yeah. maybe because yeah. it wasn't real <laughs> <laughs> yeah. maybe if it had actually happened and neil <laughs> yeah uh, he, neil said um i was i'm certainly a little disappointed i had hoped that the impact would be far more reaching than it has been Buzz Aldrin, meanwhile, like only a few years later, was working in a Cadillac dealership in Beverly Hills. Oh no, my no God. longer astronauting. No longer. A- so Aldrin actually had a pretty fucking sad life immediately after he got back from the moon. Um, which is still, still a weird sentence. It's been like 60 years and or 50 years or however long it's been. And um, it's still a fucking weird sentence. His life went to shit when he got back from the moon. Um, and yeah, he his marriage broke up. He became an alcoholic. And yeah, by the mid-70s, he was working at a Cadillac dealership. Something that me and Gavin could not stop talking about all day yesterday. No, I'm, yeah. I'm, I can't believe it. I mean, did, hang on. Did Ryan Gosling play him in the film, though? Did that redeem him or was that, was that Neil? That was Neil, I believe. Uh, I believe it was called First Man, not Second Man. Um, <laughs> but like, imagine... Imagine, like, giving Buzz Aldrin his performance review after, like, three months. By the way, he didn't, like, sell one car while he was there. Oh, in... God, Buzz. Yeah, probably because he was just, like, pub man. He was just a bit drunk at the end of the dealership being like, I went to the moon, you know. And someone's, and someone's going, of <laughs> yeah. course you did. Well, he'd probably just look at the cars and be like, yeah, I guess it's got some power. Do you know how much power the rocket that took me to the moon had? Yeah. This much horsepower. Yeah. I know we were saying that like um, imagine doing like a stop start continue it's like okay Buzz we're going to ask you to stop talking about the moon uh, start talking about the moon outside of work hours and continue feeling proud that you went to the moon but don't talk about it I'm just trying to think yeah like anything in the office he would like relate to the moon just like someone's in there at lunch and he's like well we didn't eat this on the moon (laughs) (laughs) and just like going into a Cadillac and like rolling down the seat and then opening the sunroof and just like pretending he's in space (laughs) (laughs) poor but and like you gotta think as well it's like this was a Cadillac dealership in 1977 in Beverly Hills like I don't drive and I could sell a car there you know like surely it's fucking you would just imagine that it would be like winning a gold medal at the Olympics like you just imagine that you're sort of set for life yeah but uh, NASA don't do not. NASA pension, do you know, or like like a payoff Especially for basically because like, of the risk of like dying, risk, yeah, on risking your, your life there or, and... or there or on your way back. Yeah, and like so, this this book that I read some of um, <laughs> goes into it a bit of like all of the things of like why did people lose such 
immediate interest basically mm. in space travel and there's lots of reasons and that's kind of what my segment is, my segment is really about today the i'll go through the easiest ones that require the least explanation first the first sure. one was it was boring <laughs> oh it was just boring to look at yeah like the thing is, we remember, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind or whatever. But we don't remember, because we weren't alive, the fucking hours of just watching. Like, even if you, like, like uh, NASA and SpaceX had a launch recently, and I watched a little of it for this segment. It's so boring. It's so much just, like, watching the rocket stationary while really boring yes, people narrate yeah. the rocket. And it moves after like five hours and then like eventually, you know, it's it's, it's just like a lot of dead time in between the footprint moments, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like when something like really dramatic happens on the news and all they have is the one clip. Yeah. It's kind of that thing where sometimes you like when somebody huge, you know, passes away or whatever, obviously like you, your first thought is, oh God. And then your second thought is like, oh, the news is just going to be going with this. I mean... We're going to be so bored of Corona. I mean, we were bored of Corona, you know, two weeks in. Because it's just, you know, the news was just nothing else. Yeah. So, anyway, that's point number one. Just boring to watch. Fine. Mm-hmm. Second point, and this is kind of much the, on, along the same lines. The astronauts themselves, because they were, like, basically science boys, weren't very good at talking about it. Oh, is that what happens in The Crown? I'm sure there's an episode of The Crown where they come and visit Prince Philip and he's like, oh my God, what was it like? And they were like, it was very nice. Thank you, sir. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen that episode of The Crown, but I think basically, yes. Like there's this bit, like there's like this thing where people were like, oh my God, what was it like seeing the earth from space? And they're just like, oh, apparently magnificent and wonderful were the (laughs) words they kept using, but they weren't particularly like left brains do they were or so they weren't very like philosophical about it no they weren't be able to be like oh wow you know when i looked out the window i i thought about everything that history had achieved and everything i personally had done and my family and there was none of that there was no like mm. editorial standpoint it was just like yeah it was it was lovely thank you for asking they needed a ghostwriter they needed a ghostwriter I guess it's like that, you know, when you interview footballers after a game sometimes, like some of them are fine, but some of them you're like, well, yeah, they're not public speakers. They're not, you know, they're they're, they're making like a really great victory sound really boring. (laughs) Oh my God, completely. And it's like, that's such a good comparison as well, because it's like, yeah, these people have been trained like so sharply in like all these other areas of life that the rest of us never have to use, like physically, mentally or whatever. And this sort of charisma gene has just not been farmed in the same way. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So those are the two kind of like easiest explanations about why people kind of stopped giving a fuck. But like there's kind of <laughs> other stuff going into it as well. Like people were always interested in space travel, but they were never like united on it, if you know what I mean. Okay. So the space race was obviously most of the 60s, but also like the civil rights era was the 60s. And, like, there was a lot of, like, black writers and thinkers who were just, like, you know, the amount of, like, poverty in this country, the amount of shit that's going on internally. And you're sort of using this kind of circus for us all to just look to the skies instead of, like, looking at home, you know? Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and Gil Scott Heron has this, like, amazing uh, poem that's actually been surfacing a lot lately because... um. Black Lives Matter and the most recent sort of space launch kind of collided so much but it was um, this poem he has it's called Whitey's on the Moon and the first lines of it are a rat done bit my sister Nell but Whitey's on the Moon 
you know, and it just keeps going, oh, going wow. like that. Like her face and arms began to swell and Wardy's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bill, but Wardy's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still, but Wardy's on the moon. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's, I really recommend looking it up, anyone on YouTube, because it's one of these things where it's kind of like a nursery rhyme, the pattern of it, but mm. you kind of realize as it goes on, you're like, okay, who's actually been this huge achievement for mankind? Like, who's actually been helped by it? Like, yeah. how, who, what problems that for, like, normal people who are paying their taxes so this happens? You know, I guess you could kind of almost compare it to, like, rural weddings. You know, there's always people who are excited to watch it. And most people kind of will watch it just out of curiosity, but there's always that conversation of being like, should our taxes really be paying for this? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. When there's when there's such like poverty and inequality, how exactly. can it make sense to to focus on like yeah, just basically big PR stunts that make the people at the top feel good? Yeah, exactly. And I suppose even with space travel, where it's like, oh wow, this sort of like this frontier for like science and all these things that we can discover about like I don't know gravity i guess but (laughs) but um you know when you're thinking sort of like you know okay there's literally a war happening like the vietnam war was happening and and all this sort of like racial tension and all this stuff it's like how can you how can you justify this you know yeah there's a great poem similar to that and i cannot for the life of me remember who it's by but it's all about you know the swinging 60s and how that was basically just it was just the toffs doing that it, yes. you know, it was like it was still like the 60s and especially the 70s you know like Woodstock and all that it was like the 70s was fucking grim for most people like and my dad mm. you know my dad says that he's always like yeah it was absolutely awful he was like it was the rich people that were doing all the stuff you see the pictures of and stuff like that like <laughs> that's so true and that reminds me as well of like I think it's a Nick Hornby quote um where he said like this the swinging 60s happened to 12 people on Carnaby Street for six months you know? yes <laughs> yeah like, Essentially, the rest of the UK was still in the 1950s, like, for the most of the 60s. Yeah. Which I think is so, is so interesting, because, like, it's basically what this kind of whole segment is about. It's just, like, how do we remember things and who gets to have these memories, you know? Of, yeah, like, and, this... co- and collective memory. Like, can that even be a yeah. thing? And how it can change. And also, yeah, like, completely to our friend Jeff, Mr. Haddo, um, <laughs> his point, like, the 70s were a grim time, but, like, ideologically as well, if you think about the kind of, like art that was coming out around then like you know you're like taxi driver and like rocky and like all these kind of movies that were quite cynical about sort of men who were just kind of alone and kind of sloping around kind of disenchanted and there's there was kind of like it's kind of known as this era that was kind of obsessed with and sort of pitied loners you know yeah yeah. and in a way astronauts kind of just floating out there in space became sort of metaphor for the ultimate kind of loner, you know? Ooh. Ooh. And, like, if you th- as well, if you think about, like, the songs that were coming out around that time, a lot of music about space travel, but all of it was really grim. Like, Rocket Man is grim. Yeah, like, David Bowie. Space Oddity, just, like, Major Tom floating in space, dying. Yes, yeah. Like, there's a lot of it just... And, like, a lot of people sort of using space travel and like astronauts in particular as like a metaphor for like addiction or loneliness or isolation and it's just like not a very fun picture <laughs> oh god i can't believe rocket man was about buzz aldrin at the dealership <laughs> <laughs> you can so imagine because i think that song came out in like 74 so you can so imagine him working at the dealership but just hearing it on the speaker as oh, he's like showing a family a cadillac gosh. oh it's so depressing 
Um, and like, so also, so um, Apollo 11 was the moon landing ones. And then there was Apollo 13, which was the disastrous one where mm. people almost died. And then like NASA, because obviously the money had to be going into the war effort, NASA got its budget cut and people weren't really paying attention so much anymore anyway. So they cancelled three of their missions. They cancelled 18, 19 and 20 by 72. And then they were just like, okay, no more Apollos, no more moon landings. Yeah. Oh, and, right. Um, yeah. Because they only ever wanted to go to the moon, really, to prove that they could do it before Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't that the whole idea? Yeah, that was the whole idea. That was the whole kind of thing of the space race. It was like, okay, the Cold War, we've agreed not to try and kill each other. So instead, we're going to just like have this dick measuring competition and that dick yeah. measuring competition will measure us to the moon. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. if, we, if women were in charge, we would have cured cancer and everyone would be having a lovely time. Like, I just feel like there's so much money spent on guys trying to prove how big their dick is in history. It really is, like, legitimately depressing, isn't it? Like, I'm sure women would have found uniquely horrible ways to torture the planet and people, but, like, (laughs) it wouldn't have been so embarrassing, you know? I think it would have been slightly more caring. (laughs) Totally, right? It would have been to impress a bloke. (laughs) Would have done some PASAG taxes... But then at least, like, I don't know, we probably have kids in school and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A balance. A balance. So, yeah, then in the, weirdly in the 80s, so here's a, here's a little quiz question for you. There was a famous media property that made the Apollo 11 moon landings sexy again. Can you name what it was? Oh, all I can think of is Playboy and Hugh Hefner for some reason. <laughs> in the 80s? I don't know. A sexy property. No, I, well, well, yeah, I mean like a media property, not like a literal property. Uh, oh, um. You're going to kick yourself. Do you want me to tell you? Go on. Yes. MTV. What? Yeah, so like when MTV launched in 1981. Yes, um, there's a link with it. I remember this. Yes. The, the two TV producers that made it, um, they discovered that the Apollo 11 footage was in the public domain. And so they played it at the top and the bottom of every hour on MTV with like, instead of like planting the American flag, planting the um, MTV flag on the moon. What? Okay. Yeah. Did, does that ring any bells no, we, we had like literally just the five channels. Yeah, well, it was a big moment. And like, you know, the, the VMAs on MTV, they, they still have like um, the yeah. astronauts are the awards. Yeah, they're, and they're like, yeah, they're spacemen, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. They're spacemen. Oh, wow. And so, like, it started becoming associated more with, like, I don't know, the future again, I guess, because, cool, like... fun kids. Yeah, I suppose. And um, then, like, five years after that, during Ronald Reagan's presidency, this space shuttle, the Challenger, exploded... Um, have you guys ever heard of that? I, yeah, I've heard I mean, it's quite yeah. famous, but I couldn't quite, re- you know, place yeah, it Yeah, it rings a bell, yeah. I've, yeah. I've seen the footage of that. I remember people, like, I remember, you know, the reaction, watching, like, a, a documentary about it, I think, once. Yeah, and, like, so it exploded and killing its seven-member crew. Mm-hmm. And, like, Reagan did this, like, you know, Reagan was not a great president, but he was an actor, and so he was just very good at delivering a speech. And he sort of like went on about like the heroism of these astronauts or whatever. And um, he, the, one of the quotes he actually said towards the end of his speech was, 
We've grown used to wonders in the century. It's, it's hard to dazzle us. But for 25 years, the United Space Space Program has been doing just that. We've grown used to the idea of space and perhaps we forgot that we've only just begun. So even then, like, he's like referencing this idea of like, yeah, we haven't been appreciating our astronauts. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Because wow. I guess, yeah, once you go to space and it's like, okay, cool, what's next? Like, once yeah. you've been to the moon, people would be like, what's happening next then? Completely, and like I think as well, it's that like um, I think the reason why is people have really like weird reactions to space, and I know I do. And like doing this research kind of almost made me think about why I hate looking at space so much. I hate talking about it. I hate like or up till now um, mm. is <laughs> like it. I think it does two things to your brain that I don't like experiencing as a person, which is it makes you realize your insignificance, which makes it yeah. hard to make any you know yeah like care about anything yeah care about anything exactly and second of all it makes you think about the future and whether or not like you know we're looking for new planets does that mean we're gonna have to leave this one and we've kind of wrecked this Mm. one and like there's a lot of in in kind of the subject of space travel that just is a kind of a bummer you know (laughs) even though it's amazing it's a bummer yeah, and then all the stuff like you were saying earlier about how much money goes into space travel when we've got, like, poverty in the world. Yeah, yeah, but does that mean that we shouldn't do it, you know? Mm. We should solve the poverty first and then go into space. Yes. I wouldn't mind that, you know? Yeah, I would be fine with that also. But um, Elon Musk has to fuck a planet, so... <laughs> That's true. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, it's now time for us to come back from the moon and have our smart lesson Uh, which is the segment of the podcast where we take one small step forwards and two large steps back by learning about a good feminist thing and then cracking inappropriate jokes about it. This week, we're talking about how to have a new feminist icon when an old one 
isn't dead or cancelled yet. I'm so glad you're bringing this up, Hannah, because it is a pressing, pressing issue. Like, in all, in all the art forms in particular, I don't know about the sciences, but in all the art forms, there can be one woman alive at one time and the rest of them have to go fuck themselves. Exactly, yeah. And, and like, one person is chosen to be the icon and given their time as feminist Jesus and then no one else's work uh, can exist without, well, if there are women their work cannot exist without comparing it to this person's work. And everything this person touches turns to gold, even if that's an outdated sexist spy thriller series. Yeah, this is the thing. And then, so, and then as soon as the new one is around, uh, what we must do is nitpick the old one until we find a problematic tweet that they sent in 2006. <laughs> yes. God, remember that like week and a half on Twitter when everyone was freaking out because like, Fleabag is deals with privileged women and so it's not good or maybe it is yeah, or something. Someone, someone said that Phoebe Waller-Bridge was too posh and therefore well, you know, she, probably she went to a is. private school. But this is the thing, so like people were saying, oh my god, I May Destroy You is amazing. Um, it shits all over Fleabag. And it's like it shits all over loads of stuff. Why did you have to say that? Like Fleabag yeah. is good I May Destroy You is very good. Like it, they're both yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and like they can yeah they can both be good at the same time that's fine and in different ways yeah it's so weird isn't it because i i actually haven't watched either of those shows and like but that's only because i'm just bad at watching tv you love generally doing that. you you love boycotting like the big things i i honestly don't i just i i i don't know <laughs> i don't know why because i'm an extremely mainstream person like i love project runway I love RuPaul's Drag Race. Like, I love, like, big tacky shit. I just don't have a lot of time for, like, prestige TV. I just have a lot on. It's, like, yeah. I, I don't... I just don't have time. I'm sorry. I know it, it makes me seem like I'm a massive snob, but I'm, I'm really not. I'm very base. <laughs> <laughs> I've never... You know, like, when Quiz came out, which was about who wants to be a millionaire, kind of everyone was addicted to it at the start of lockdown, and that was written by a guy called James Graham. Nobody was like... Oh my god, this is so much better than Bodyguard, which was jet- written by Jed Mercurio. <laughs> yeah, because they're completely different things. Like, <laughs> yeah, like men are allowed to to have different work and just each be their own shining star and individual. It's really, really weird, isn't it? And like, I also think a lot. I've been thinking about this a lot in the last few days. Um, about so you know, I, I'm a novelist and I have lots of female friends who are also novelists because they're in my industry. Um, and I was like, huh where are all the young male novelists? I'm like, oh my God. Oh yeah. Like literally, where are they? Like every every male novelist I can think of who's like working today and publishing a lot is like at least in his like late 30s, early 40s at least. And wow. um, and obviously, and like people like, you know, Colm Tobin or whatever who are in their 60s or 70s or whatever. Um, and they're still publishing all the time. And I was kind of saying to a few friends of mine, I was like, where are all our contemporary male novelists? Like, I haven't met a single 30-year-old male novelist in, like, at all. I, I, I've i done so many events, so many bookstore events and so many kind of talks and panels. I've been, I've once I've been put on a panel with a guy my own age. And then I sort of, I realized, I was like, oh, um, they're working on their craft right now right they're they're all doing it and they're gonna come out with their debut novels when they're 40 fucking one and we meanwhile <laughs> won't be hot anymore <laughs> and, oh and we'll just be in this slack heap and like 
you know, a couple of us will probably survive and still be publishing and do a Margaret Atwood or whatever. But the rest yeah. of us will be like, mm, she's mid-list. She writes about relationships. She writes about sentimental stuff. She writes about this, which is kind of why I do my podcast, Sentimental Garbage. Um, and most of us will be con- like confined to like a slag heap of just being like, mm, women who are kind of, they're not quite artists, are they? We've seen them over a long time. They write a lot, whatever. And then meanwhile, yeah. men just emerge from the muck out of like oh like these like literary professors who are like 51 but they're like the new young hot thing (laughs) and it's like i find it so weird it's like women artists are like grist for the mill or something i wonder why like if there are fewer men in their like 20s and 30s writing or if like it's just that they're kind of like oh no i'll do something else and then they're all too busy rock climbing they're all they're climbing. All rock climbing. <laughs> they're all rock climbing or their name is Russell and they're in stand-up comedy and they have a special. Do you know what I mean? I feel like a lot of them are probably getting sucked into like TV writing and comedy writing, maybe. Mm. And the ones who are super serious about it are going down like the academic route and then they'll emerge at 40 with their book. Well, young men, if you're listening. Get writing your novels. You are very underrepresented. <laughs> the, the Dumb Women Male Novelist Scholarship is now open. Um, <laughs> the prize is we will read out your first page yeah. <laughs> on the podcast. Mm. Yes. So getting back to the uh, the female icons, how how do you begin enjoying the work of another person? I thought we could maybe kind of workshop some ideas here. Um, I thought you could do that kind of, you know, repeating three times in the mirror. Michaela Cole is her own person. Michaela Cole is her own person. Michaela Cole is her own person. Like just really kind of G yourself up. Good with it, one. You know? Good one. Um, I think you could also repeat, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is still alive and still working. Mm. Um, also, she's just not on social media, that which doesn't mean she's dead. It doesn't mean she's dead, yeah. It exactly. does mean people can't corner her quite as much, though. Uh, God, can you imagine the amount of DMs that she'd get? Yeah, I know. Mostly from me, sure. <laughs> um, I thought as well you could probably find things that the new icon does which the old icon uh, would not um, for example Michaela Cole as I understand is very good at yoga and can Phoebe Waller-Bridge do the splits like probably I don't know probably not who was it before Phoebe Waller-Bridge and who's it going to be after Michaela Cole bets mm. she's not born yet you know they're, yeah they're that's bo- true <laughs> they're, in, they're, they're conceived in tubes and then they just emerge sort of like 24 years old with perfect politics on everything. Yeah. And um, Oh, I think um, on your question of who was it before Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I think it was Lena Dunham. It was Lena Dunham, yep. Before that, it was Catelyn Moran. Oh, yep. yeah. And remember Amy Schumer? Yes. Oh, yes. She's dead. Yeah, I know. I, th- I think this is like a particular um, spot for the three of us because we did work in women's media and because we did sort of like contribute to the insane holding up of these characters and like I remember like writing so many headlines about like oh we want like so and so to be our best friend and such and such is basically perfect like these really these um the headlines and like in women's media and I think this is still the case is this sort of like tone that precludes this person ever doing wrong yeah. If you know what I mean? It's like, um, I don't know if you guys watch YouTube much, and I certainly don't, but like, you know, Jenna Marbles? Yes, with the dogs. Yes, and she recently took herself off of YouTube because she was just finding the sort of um, hysteria of it all like too upsetting, I think. She's like a very like thoughtful, interesting person. And she says that she said in her kind of final video, she was like, oh, people are always adding me and saying, oh, you're so unproblematic. You're the unproblematic fave. And like... Um, 
you're so wholesome, you're so good, you're basically perfect. And she's like, she's like, people don't realize that when I read these headlines, it doesn't make me feel like relaxed or like complimented. It just makes me feel like the stakes for me fucking up is even higher. Yeah. You know? yeah. And yeah. it feels like people are what, waiting for it as well. Yeah. It's like this kind of like head girl thing, you know? Mm. It's like, well, Michaela called her head girl and so she knows kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I've um lived six lifetimes with Taylor Swift. Remember when we first started working together and um we were like when we were working at the pool and we were like constantly covering like who was in her squad and who was oh, appearing God, on stage yeah, with her. Squad and goals stuff. about Taylor Swift's bloody friends who like none of us really actually cared about. Yeah, but we were always talking I remember this like this is five years ago now, and we were like constantly running stories about like oh, wow, you'll never guess who, like, Taylor's cool new friend is now. And we were, like, really enthusiastic about it. And then the tone went from enthusiasm to being bored by it, then to being resentful of it, and then to being like, oh, God, like, this is totally... And we're running all these stories being like, not every woman has a big group of friends, you know? And then it just, like, soured from there. That was the backlash, yeah. God, I hate being a woman sometimes. She's very happy in Hampstead now with her boy, so good luck to her. I know, and her new album rocks, so that's good. Maybe you're not always cancelled now. There's there's a way back, Phoenix from the flames. I just I like I think the, the new sort of like catchphrase should just be like make women fine again. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like oh yeah, fine. Hence why we're the school for dumb women because we're very problematic and thick. Honestly, we say so much thick shit on this podcast that yeah, one day we'll be dragged to the streets for. Well, that's all for this week. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, you can hear more by searching School for Dumb Women on your favourite podcast app and following us on the usual social media platforms at Dumb Women Pod. You can also hear us on Soho Radio every other Thursday at 6pm. Thanks to Gavin Day for our artwork, Harry Harris for our jingles and Soho Radio Studios. Goodbye, moon. <laughs> Good night, moon. From the Cadillac dealership in Beverly Hills. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> 